You're listening to an Anazal Ministries podcast. All right, guys, it is finally time uh, with the year of Lewis very quickly coming to an end. It is time to have a conversation about he and his friends. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Systematic Geekology. I am one of your hosts, one of the priests to the geeks. I am Joe. And as has been regular habit now at this point, I am joined <laughs> by Josh. What's up, buddy? Uh, what's going on, man? What's going on? I, I've i been having a lot of fun reading and going back through the works of the Inklings because of our conversation today, as well as... Uh, Oh, no, just um, I've actually I, I went on a weird rabbit hole today with uh, Charles Williams and some of the stuff that he wrote. I'll talk about that in a minute, though. Try not to get ahead of myself. Nice. But uh, what you been up to? Yeah, uh, I've been I've been preparing for this because uh, I'll be honest, out of the Inklings, I it is absolutely um, Lewis that I am the most familiar with. You know, I, I was very young. When I mm-hmm. read the um, the Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit. And so, yes, technically I have read those. Um, but I can't say as though I've I've read them since then. And so a lot of the a lot of the works outside of Lewis's stuff are all newer to me. So getting a chance to look into some of the resources that are out there that delve into the the life of the Inklings has been really interesting. Yeah. And I'm I'm excited to jump into this conversation today. We're talking about the Inklings and it's actually it's really fascinating because I've I've grown up loving Tolkien and Lewis and seeing some of the works of their friends, seeing how some of their stuff did come together, how they related to each other, talked about each other, and I don't know if you know this, but this this is something that really blew my mind. C.S. Lewis was part of the Inklings before he was fully a Christian. Huh. In fact, some of the Inklings helped him kind of come to his faith. Interesting. That's something that it was something that I was vaguely aware of. I knew who was on that walk with him in the garden, but I don't think I ever quite put together that. Oh yeah. Inklings. Cause you know, in my head, it's just Lewis, his friends, Tolkien and Hugo Dyson walking around and they happen to make some good points. He thinks about it. And you know, that's kind of what led them to where he's at. And I guess I just never put together. Oh Yeah. You go Dyson and, and Tolkien and Lewis. Uh, those those are part of the Inklings. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, so uh, I'm going to be honest with you guys b- before before I, I absolutely get um, roasted for this. I'll be uh, I'll, I'll get ahead of it and, and be honest with you guys. Uh, I, I was not familiar with Hugo Dyson before looking into the Inklings. Um, I'm reading is not a a strong suit of mine. And so growing up and all of that, I was not a bookworm. A lot of where I come, where I've come as far as academics has been in my adult years, since I've learned the wonder that is audiobooks and like, uh, uh, like <laughs> audio consumption of information rather than, you know, textbook or so, reading it, that sort of thing. Um, so, so not only, you know, is it interesting to see like, okay, so, so something like what you brought up you've got lewis who is this uh juggernaut of literature 
regardless of of yes. anything else and regardless of where you land on how much you like narnia or what have you i think it's still safe to say he's a juggernaut of literature and then on top of it mm-hmm. you have you have his his walk and and these are the men that helped him you know come to faith and and all of those kinds of things so it's interesting to see to learn about this friendship that they all had but also on top of it the fascinating individuals that made up the sum total of this group oh yeah oh yeah and uh for those who don't know the inklings were a collection of oxford writers who at least shortly into it were all christians I don't know if that just was a coincidence or what, but Christian Oxford writer group. And um, a large part of it was actually due to Tolkien just always being the kind of person who had groups. He grew up in clubs, always started clubs. But Edward Lean was actually the man who started the Inklings. And I don't know. It's really fascinating to me to hear about just really looking into it at all and realizing. And if you've ever been part of a writing project or part of like a team group, like systematic ecology or anything, you realize that a lot of the stuff that comes out, it might have one person's name on it, but a lot of different people really influence the creation. And when we talk about Narnia, we always talk about C.S. Lewis. And when we talk about Lord of the Rings, we always talk about Tolkien. But really, all of these men had their hands on these works before we had the copy that we've read, you know? Yeah, I think that's part of what has what really struck me as and and honestly going through now at this stage being in the broadcasting world being a part of collaborative efforts and things like that you know yes we you know you say something like the chronicles of narnia what's the first thing you think of well the first thing you think of is lewis you think of (laughs) of lord of the rings what's the first thing you think of you think of tolkien so on and so forth but yeah these were men that spitballed ideas off of each other straight through to had direct influences and critiques and all of those kinds of things into these different um in, into these different projects and it's it's fascinating when when you think of something like is narnia the same without the influence of these other men is Lord of the Rings, the same without the influence of these other men. And yes, before my book nerds out there again, come for me. I understand that the sum total is not just Narnia and Lord of the Rings, but for somebody who (laughs) is not as steeped in the literary side of all of this, those are the works that are going to, come out of my mouth the most often because that's what's top of mind yeah yeah and uh if, if you read lord of the rings you read about the fellowship of the rings you see gandalf and bilbo's friendship uh you see frodo and sam's friendship a lot of that was based off of what their friendships were like in this group if you read c.s lewis's four loves it's my my all-time favorite book c.s lewis talks about what is friendship and a lot of the ideas he got were because he's experiencing that here with the inklings in this group because they didn't just talk literature and talk shop about the writings. They also talked about stuff like who is God? What is the nature of hell? They, they talked deep theological stuff just for fun. We're lucky that uh, – I, I forget who it was, but I, I think it was Lewis's brother – actually attended a few meetings and took notes. So we have some idea of some of the stuff they talked about. And 
it's funny because he mentioned that he wishes he would have wrote down more notes beforehand because he didn't really realize what he was witnessing, how powerful these meetings were. And they were together a lot longer than the Beatles, just saying. Um, <laughs> but uh, when we talk about the Inklings, there, there's a lot of men involved. But the ones that I wanted to talk about is I mentioned Edward Lean, um, C.S. Lewis, obviously, Tolkien. Those are the two big names. Um, also, Owen Barfield, Charles Williams. And we have to mention Hugo Dyson, even though Hugo Dyson really wasn't that popular of an author. <laughs> but he was a huge influence in this group. He's a huge influence in what we have as Narnia and what we have as Lord of the Rings, even though you may have never heard his name before. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Yeah. Um, Charles Williams, I mentioned him. He was a supernatural thriller. Most of his books are that. But he's most famous for he wrote something uh, like a commentary or something that had to do with Dante. I read it a long time ago. It, it was pretty interesting. But again, he was another one that I'm like, I could take him or leave him. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Um. Yeah, it seems like it seems like a lot of what I can find um, kind of post, you know, obviously post post these guys being alive. But a lot of what I can find in historically speaking really emphasizes Lewis and Tolkien as the guys from from the group. And then everybody else was kind of like the backup singers. You know, so so to speak, like not yeah. quite as forwardly famous or 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 impactful as those two. Yeah. Although both of them would say that Owen Barfield was actually to blame for a lot of the wordsmithing that people complimented them on how well their words were. Well, Owen Barfield, part of this group, he was a linguist. He studied language and the difference in the history of language. He like started a lot of the study of history of words. Of course, of course, having someone like that look at your work and kind of comment allows you to write better work. Yeah. Um, also, it said Owen Barfield was actually C.S. Lewis's best friend. There's a kind of a debate if it was him or Tolkien, because, you know, him and Tolkien had a kind of an outing later on. But whatever. Hugo Dyson, largely just known for being kind of a dick. <laughs> yeah. He was in these groups. It was just extremely critical, very much hated. C.S. Lewis, um, J.R.R. Tolkien's elves. He really hated his take on the elves. Like, elves are short people. What are you doing here? I'm just very mad about it for some reason. But at the same time, this guy that we're like, oh, well, why was he there? He was so, you know, mean to everybody. Uh, like I mentioned earlier, that's also the same guy who walked with Tolkien and Lewis and shared the gospel with Lewis, you know? Right. So I wouldn't be quick to throw him out. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also uh, having someone be critical of your work that you're willing to talk to regularly and be like, run this by you. Hey, criticize me, criticize me, criticize me. That's how you get these absolute gems of literature that are Narnia, that are Lord of the Rings. That's the um, the the Palandria series from Lewis. That is how you get these awesome works is because they ran it by these other men. One linguist, someone who was just there to be critical. You have someone who's going to just criticize the crap out of your work until you write it good enough that he doesn't have anything to say. It's going to be good. Yeah. Having a critical friend is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, it, there. I know, I know from some of the, um, from some of the guys that I, I walk with in ministry. Um, there are certain guys, you know. Shout out to Brother Matthew. You that <laughs> that are around that that keep me honest. You know, I don't, I don't, when I'm around them, 
I don't get to um, hand wave certain things. I don't get to use shorthand, stuff like that, because they're the type of people that will call me out on it. And that's that's a good yeah. thing because it keeps you sharp. It forces you to stay sharp. Well, how's it go? Uh, iron sharpens iron, something like that? Something like that. I feel like that's – I've read yeah. that someplace. I, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Somewhere. Yep. I um I, I know we've talked a lot about how important this group is. I just want to throw out there. There were two of my favorite trilogies of all time were almost not written. And if it were not for the Inklings, would not have been written. Tolkien almost didn't write Lord of the Rings. If Lewis didn't push him into writing it, we would not have Lord of the Rings. You can't have Lord of the Rings without C.S. Lewis. Uh, same thing with uh, the Palandrius series that I love so much. The sci-fi trilogy that Lewis wrote. He wasn't going to write it because a lot of the Inklings were kind of anti-modernism. You know, that's a huge part of Lord of the Rings. The meaning behind the book is just kind of uh, this industrialism is bad kind of stuff. And Lewis loved science, but he didn't like that we were getting further away from one-on-one -on -one contact with other people. So he was kind of iffy about industrialism still. And he he ended up writing it because Tolkien encouraged him. And it almost didn't really get out there much. Publishers were like, oh, this is stupid, whatever. Tolkien publicly wrote about how fantastic the sci-fi trilogy was. And because of Tolkien's endorsement, more and more people read it. And it actually, I probably would have never heard of it if Tolkien didn't do that. Yeah. And it's just these men, yes, they were critical of each other, but they also built each other up. I mean, Tolkien definitely did criticize Narnia very heavily. But when it turned around and other people were trying to beat Lewis down for his sci-fi trilogy, Tolkien said, absolutely not. This is a complete work of art. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, right. yes, be critical. But they also built each other up. And it's just when you read how they viewed friendship and how it was, we're going to help each other grow and we're not going to just tear each other down. You asked, we're going to be critical. But no, we're not going to tear each other down. That is what we try to, you know, we've never sat around and said systematic ecology is going to be exactly like the Inklings. But that's sort of what we're going for here. Like, we want to be this group of people who can criticize one another. Lord knows, Joe and I have criticized one another. <laughs> yeah. But also, we're at each other's corner. When when Joe wants to do that next DC movie, I, you know, I'm I'm gonna make sure someone's on it. And if not, I'm gonna I'm gonna go watch it. I'm gonna be on it. You know what I mean? Or so, some of the stuff like uh, the Narnia episodes. There were definitely a few that I was like, yeah. But I know. What Joe has to say with these Narnia episodes is so powerful and so cool that I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure it's the best thing out there. You know what I mean? And I hope, I hope, I mean, we don't usually talk to our listeners, but I hope to those Priest to the Geeks listening will also have that same attitude on our social media and everything. I know so far we've had a good, good culture there, but it's always hard on social media. You know, it's always easy to just tear one another down and say, I hate your opinion kind of stuff. Right. It's hard to be critical in a constructive way and always remember to build each other up. Yeah, it's, you know, when people hear things like mastermind or something like that, like when they hear when they hear these these buzzwords that are thrown around, it's easy to think something along the lines of, oh, well, that's just a, a, a spot where everybody is, you know, everybody is you know in in each other's corner and and all of that kind of stuff and it's just you know it's more of an exchanging idea of of ideas but the reality is is that in these kinds of situations and we see the inklings is an example of it and there's other examples throughout history of these groups of people that just what when when they 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 were successful in pushing each other 
And if you can do that well and understand that part of that is taking that, understanding that that person is giving you a criticism because it's for your benefit, that is that that leads to growth. That's the th- that's the kind of thing that 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 will help you become a better version of whatever it is that you're trying to do. And we get there by being able to listen well, to take in criticism well, but also trust that the other person has your best interest in mind. And one of the things that I've that I have come to appreciate tremendously, even like with this show, is that that opportunity to be able to to grow as a team member, to to have those awkward conversations with Josh, but they ultimately make uh-huh. us better for it. And, and again, it, it, to me, it's it's almost poetic in a way, because so much of what we've been talking about, and specifically what I've been talking about, about Lewis, has been in this vein of he wrote reflections of truth and he had these like what Mm -hmm. what he wrote stands and all of that kind of stuff but he also lived in a way these men lived in a way were they perfect no they weren't perfect but the inkling stands as an example of the power of when you can put ego second and put the collective first yeah it's 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 a hard balance right i um so Aristotle has the doctrine of the means, and it's this idea that real courage, for example, isn't running stupidly towards danger, and it's also not running away from danger. It's somewhere in between. It's you know, and all real virtues, according to Aristotle, are in, kind of in between. And I think that's actually true here. I don't know if it's true in every situation, like Aristotle thought, but here, you know, I'm able to look at this going, yeah, um, the virtue of friendship lies somewhere in between. Tearing one another down and just being critical for no reason and always lifting each other up and never actually giving each other anything to work with. Somewhere in between there where you're able to be critical when it's helpful, but build each other up when it's needed. That's the virtue of friendship. And I know it's all it's kind of weird when you're when we're talking about a group of us working on the show to be like, yes, this is what friendship looks like. Some somehow friendship just seems like a weird word <laughs> for some reason. Like we we prefer like camaraderie or uh, club. But that, that's what we're talking about is friendship. Right. And I don't know, man. It, it, it's so fascinating when you see how Lewis and Tolkien represented the friends, right? Like the Fellowship of the Ring. It wasn't some mamby-pansy group of people who were all like, hey, you're doing great. High fives all around. It wasn't, you know, attacking each other. It was, we're going to go to war. I'm going to tell you when I think you're wrong, but also I got your back. Yeah. And, you, you know, and a lot of that comes from the fact that these were all men who – whether they served in the war or were just around it, they were very aware in their time what war was. Yeah. So when they're talking about friendship and having each other's backs and what it really means to be helpful to one another instead of hurtful, they had a very unique and powerful perspective on that. Yeah, there's there's this there's this interesting aspect that I I've often thought about this and and it 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 helps that so so my grandfather he mm-hmm. was he was a complicated man. <laughs> um, <laughs> he was a World War II vet, and it he was he was very old by the time he passed. 
And so he had seen it just by the time, by the time the nineties were around, it just wasn't the same world anymore that he grew up in. Yeah. And he had, and he had become, he had become so insulated that he just kind of lived in his own, in his own pocket. Right. And that came with good and bad and whatever. But part of that was like, when you talk to him, you got this snapshot into a bygone era and a mm-hmm. way of thinking and a mode of thinking and all of that kind of stuff. And there's just, there's, there's just this, this factor at play with the older generation, especially when you get to like the first world war or the second world war and that sort of thing. Like when you get, when you get to a certain point, it just, it creates certain personality things and personality traits and ways of being and all of that, that you can tell are when, when they talk about certain things, it's a different understanding. It's neither good nor bad. And I'm not here to, to, to espouse upon mm-hmm. whether or not it's good or bad, but, but it's just different, right? There's a different flavor and a different mm-hmm. seasoning on it. And, and in his case, you can tell, like it went sorry pronouns pal um like three people got that joke um the in 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 lewis's case and i think also in in retrospect looking back on on tolkien i think in his case as well there are just influences of that life of knowing what it was like to live during that time during a different during a different era where this kind of camaraderie and this kind of life experience and stuff like that really shines through and shows in in the work itself yeah which just as a quick side note if you look up how war tactics are were written in lord of the rings and compare it to how they were written in house of dragon it's fascinating how much more accurate lord of the rings was Yes, they're fantasy. Yes, all of it's fake. But also, everything done in Lord of the Rings was actual war tactics, right? Like, that's actually how armies worked. Nothing that happens in House of Dragon or, um, I don't even, Game of Thrones, that's what it's called. None of that is what war actually looks like. <laughs> so it's just fascinating how, yes, they're in fantasy, but for for Tolkien, and this is actually something he criticized at Narnia over, was Tolkien believed that it had to be as real as possible, which is why he put all of this work into building all these gods, all this lore, this entire huge backstory. If I'm not mistaken, that's part of why Lewis ended up writing The Magician's Nephew is because he agreed to an extent some of this was necessary. I don't think Lewis valued it anywhere near as much as Tolkien, and I think that's why Tolkien was frustrated. But to be fair, no one on Earth could possibly value it as much as Tolkien. He went way overboard with how much he wrote into the back of everything. Yeah. Yeah, that, uh, yeah, that's, it's, it's interesting to see how these life experiences impact and shape these men and how it, it's another example of just with what you just said, how part of the sto- the moral of the story, when you're looking at something like this, part of the moral of the story is being honest about how what you're good at, what you're not good at, what the people around you can force you to be better at, what the people around you are good at that they see that you're not good at, that they can in, that they can add their two cents in and help you become better. You know what I mean? Yeah. I um this is kind of weird. I'm going to read a quote from the Four Loves, right? So when when Lewis is talking about friendship, and, and this is one of those things where exactly what we're talking about 
when you have in mind who the person C.S. Lewis was, you have in mind he had this friend group, right? You have in mind that he was part of the war. This quote reads different. A lot of times you read some of the more theological stuff from C.S. Lewis and you just kind of read it as this is good information. And it is. But put it put it in context for a minute. Put this quote in context of the man, who he was, what we know about him. You will not find the warrior, the poet, the philosopher, or the Christian by staring in his eyes as if you were his mistress. That's not what friendship love looks like. Better, fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. When I read that, that's just some things he's thrown out there. But when you think in, in, in the mind of Lewis, Lewis was a warrior and a poet and a philosopher and a Christian. So when he says... How you be experienced friendship is fight beside him, read with him, argue with him, pray with him. He means it, <laughs> you yeah. know? Yeah. And and we're talking about like a guy that's not hyperbolically any of those things. Like he he was in the war. He did, you know, he, he was a a true to heart warrior. He was a true. He was these he was these different things. And so I think. To an extent, somebody who has lived those different identities is exactly the right person to be able to speak on those identities. And I think that that's part of what makes Lewis's take on it so impactful and so resonant because it's coming from somebody who lived a lot of life. And it's funny, too, because in that same chapter when he's talking about friendship – He's like, you don't see this kind of friendship anymore. The only stories are like Romeo and Juliet and this kind of stuff. You don't see – and he's you know, referencing the friends and Beowulf and all these other things. And it's funny because I'm reading it just as a modern reader, not thinking of the person going, what do you mean? I've seen Lord of the Rings. <laughs> like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, oh, yeah. That's, uh, they both wrote this around the same time right? thinking the same thing. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, which is just funny. Um. Yeah, I, you know, to all of their credit, you know, we're building up the English, talking about how great they are. Eventually, it did actually get so aggressive with one another that here's what's crazy. They sort of disbanded twice. Yeah. In the 40s, they decided to stop criticizing one another's books. They were getting old enough. They didn't have to keep writing and all this stuff. And they were like, hey, this is getting too much for our friend group and just decided to keep meeting and not criticize one another's books anymore. You know how difficult it is to decide we're going to stop doing this project together, but we're still going to keep meeting because that's what's best for our relationship. Yeah. That's a hard thing to do. And they stayed that way for 20 more years. They didn't fully disband until the sixties. And that was pretty much because enough of them had died that it wasn't realistic to keep doing that anymore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's there. There has to be a level of commitment to the group and a level of humility to be able to say, okay, we are still we are going to stop doing this thing that brought us together but because we are we are friends and because we are a group we are still going to keep being that friend that friend group you know yeah yep brandon was part of our show and yep. he had to leave for various reasons but and yes it was difficult to figure out how are we still going to maintain our relationships right how are we still going to do things but if you follow our other shows you'll know Brandon's done stuff with Whole Church. He's done stuff with Buddy Walk. We've been on his show. We found a way not to cut that communion because that friendship is more important than systematic ecology. Yes. Yes. You know, that's that's the reality of collaborative work is everything has a season. And 
if you can bring yourself to understanding that sometimes that season needs to change for the betterment of one or all, that's that's incredibly important. You know what I mean? And and that's that's just a reality of 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 life. You know what I mean? And yeah, that's and 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 you move and you move forward, right? That's the thing is yeah. you can get stuck in that point and you can get because we are human, it's easy for us to get stuck in the weeds and then not move from that moment in time. But if you can realize that that moment in time is part of something bigger, then you can act with, you can deal with that appropriately. Yeah. And just to be clear, because I don't want to misrepresent anything, Brandon decided to leave for his own well-being. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, We yeah. didn't force him out or anything. And, you know, it wasn't all easy to be like, oh, he doesn't want me anymore. You know, you know, if you have that kind of relationship mindset, even though you would never say it like that. It's like, oh, he doesn't want us anymore. I'm like, it, it wasn't easy. But you know what? I, I love Brandon like a brother. We're doing a uh, a convention for my other podcast, Whole Church. I think Systematic Ecology is going to be a part of that in some ways next year. And Brandon is going to be a big part of that here in Charlotte. And it's because that friendship is just simply more valuable than my own feelings about this show, my own feelings about why did this happen or that happen? And I'm like, I want Brandon to do what's best for Brandon. And I want us to figure out the best way to do that friendship. And that's not, that doesn't go just for him. That goes for every single person on this show. We've had people come and go. And it's just a matter of figuring out what is the most important thing. And the most important thing is not this show. Right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Things are complicated and things take time to heal. Wounds take time to heal all of that kind of stuff. But, but the reality is, is, Whatever, however you handle those things, and I'm just saying this objectively. I'm not trying to. I'm not. I'm not. If if this is something that that bothers you, um, you know, to to hear, then then maybe there's a there's a reason for that, and maybe that's something to process. <laughs> but whatever you whatever you emphasize is the most important thing. So yeah. if something like that happens, and you can't take the criticism well or you can't take the separation well or whatever that shows that shows where your preference is that shows where your priority is and so it's it's important to be self-aware enough about how you're reacting to these things to be able to put those things in their proper place and moving forward we we don't usually read a verse or anything at the end of our episodes but with Joe's permission, I want to read one of my favorite books of the Bible is Ecclesiastes. Nice. Okay, cool. And Ecclesiastes 3. And I know this is the cheesy, super Christian thing to do, but we're talking about the Inklings, guys. Come on. Chapter mm -hmm. 3, verses 1 through 8. I like the New American Standard Bible. Read whatever you want if you want to read along. I'm sounding like we're in church now. Anyway, there is a season for everything. A time for every occupation under the heaven. A time for giving birth. A time for dying, a time for planting, a time for uprooting what has been planted, a time for killing, a time for healing, a time for knocking down, a time for building up, a time for tears, a time for laughter, a time for mourning, a time for dancing. You know, you keep going, a time for searching, a time for losing, a time for keeping, a time to disregard or to do away with, a time to keep silent and a time to speak up, a time for war and a time for peace. And I think what you saw with the Inklings in the 40s when they first decided we can't do this book thing anymore. They saw there was a time for knocking down and a time for building. And we're going to have to do away with this part, a time for discarding. We're going to do away with this thing that's gotten too toxic for our friendship. 
And instead, we're going to talk about other things. We're going to talk about philosophy. We're going to talk about our religion. We're talking about our grandkids, probably. Man, that would have been a fun conversation to sit in on. <laughs> right. And you know what? They were all the better for it. And they last that friends, that group lasted an extremely long time because they were willing to realize, hey, there's a time where we're going to be critical of each other and there's a time we're going to build each other up. And there's also a time where we're going to decide to just put this thing away and focus on our friendship. And that that is an extremely hard thing to do. Like it's in the Bible just as there's a time for everything, you know? Like it seems like such a matter of fact kind of thing. Of course there's a time for living and a time for dying. Duh. Until you go to try and do it, then it's freaking hard. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a reality of life that is that uh, that uh, uh, a fair amount of people struggle with. You know, I, I think of I think of my brother. Right. Um, my, my brother and I in college were incredibly tight. Um, he's he's got he's got his family, you know, the missus and the kid. I've got my family and, you know, we don't, we still, we still keep in touch, but it's, it's just simply different. You know what I mean? And that's, and that's okay. And understanding that I think gives a lot of peace of understanding what, where everybody is at, where you're at, all of those kinds of things. What's ironic is I did the very thing Lewis warns against when he talks about family love and four loves. Um, just kind of going with what you were saying, I I remember there was a time, and he won't mind me saying this, that my brother was not doing as well in his spiritual walk. I'm trying to, you know, PG version. And because of that, he wasn't doing as well in some other areas of his life. And he was living at home. And I just got done with my accident. So I was living at home. And we got to be extra close. And there was a time in my adult life, in my brother's adult life, that we were living under the same roof, playing games every day, doing stuff together. And I was like, this is great. Uh, then he refound Jesus and he went and got his life back on track. And man, there was a part of me who kind of wanted to resent it. I was living right. I was in the church. I should have been really happy that my brother was starting to do right. But instead I was like, okay, but I liked it more when he was at home, you know? <laughs> and man, that's terrible. It's kind of embarrassing to admit, which is why I laugh a little bit at myself. Cause I'm like, that was so stupid. And one day when I make it to, Whatever the new earth and the new heaven looks like, whatever that looks like, I don't know, guys. I'm not an expert uh, at that kind of theology or anything. I haven't studied it a lot, but I do know that at some point I will be with my brother for eternity and we will get to be with one another in the joy of the Lord. And I'm really just going to have to keep looking back at that moment where I was sad that he wasn't as home as much and just laugh at, wow, that was such a stupid thought. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's that's part of the realities of growing up. And I think that's part of the realities of doing, doing human life well, as you age and as you, as responsibilities change and all of those kinds of things. But that being said, the Inklings were an incredible group. All of these books that we love, man. And, and, and it's so funny too, because I never thought of it as them meeting as a group. To be honest, I didn't know what the Inklings were for a long time. It was just something that other Lewis fans said a lot. And I was like, yeah, sure. Inklings. Yeah. I didn't know what it was for a long time, but see, I grew up, in, I, mean, I grew up in the, in the <laughs> theater world. Like I grew up with, with yeah. um, art people and all of that. And so I was, I was the oddball for having not read the Inklings work. And in my mind, I didn't know, like I knew, I knew that the Inklings were Lewis, uh, Tolkien, 
and some other guys. Some other guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I yeah. did not know really anybody else, but uh, other than that, but that, so I was the outside, uh, the outsider in that. So yeah, I mean, it's it's funny when you when you are an adult and you look back on some of the misconceptions that you had, but then you realize the reality that these were just some grown men that came together and did relationship well to an extent, I guess. You know, yes, again, there's, there's, it's, it's complicated. These men were complicated and all of that kind of stuff. Oh, and yeah. I'm not trying to say it was, it was 100% do, uh, done perfectly, but there was mm-hmm. enough of it done well that now all of these years later, a couple of guys from two different parts of the country can come <laughs> together and talk about it and make those analogies about their own life and their own projects. Yeah. And it's just, it's incredible. If you have the chance to read some of, the notes that we're taking of the Inklings meetings, you'll learn a lot about literature. First off, you'll learn a lot about what it takes to write a good piece of literature. You'll also learn just a lot of random philosophical thinkings by some incredibly intelligent men. Also, I just have to say, one of the things that I love is that this the meeting started off at Lewis's house, and eventually they moved it to the pub. And I started meeting in pubs. And first, I love just the idea of, could you imagine you just walk into the pub one day, you're like, I'm just getting some fish and chips and a beer. And you're over there just minding your own business. And all of a sudden, there's C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien talking about what is hell. Right. <laughs> like, what? Yeah. Like, what a weird scene that would be. Uh, also, um, during COVID, two of the pubs they met at closed. And people threw a straight up riot about the fact that they might not reopen. I don't know if they ever did reopen, but I just love the idea that people still over at Eagles are like, what do you mean you closed the pub that the Inklings met at? You can't do that. Like, yeah, yeah. And I have to imagine, like, if you were there for it, you would have to have some special attachment to the pubs, even if all you did was sit at the bar and overhear some of what these men had to say. There's no way you wouldn't have an attachment to that. It had to be incredible. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's one of those fly on the wall sort of sort of situations like there are certain points in history that you can point to that like, man, I really wish I could be a fly on the wall of of that conversation or what have you. And and in this kind of in this context, this is absolutely one where you it it would be it would be truly fascinating and truly enlightening to be able to sit with these men and to be able to hear just these guys, because these are the conversations that resulted in all of these works that now we talk about, right? All of these theological heavyweight things that, that are, that have shaped the lives of so many people, you know, even, even you, Josh, hearing your, story of what lewis's writings did to you or did for you rather you know and thinking about what narnia did for me of helping me see and experience the story of the bible like yes we can sit here and we can go round and around and around about all of the different literary styles and all of the different components and everything that makes up the bible and how to read your bible and hermeneutics and yada 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 we can get into all of that Absolutely. But there's something to just let the story of the creator of everything interacting with mankind through on through Jesus and post and just let the story wash over you. Right. 
And that's mm. the, one yeah. of the big things that I tell people like, dude, if you, if you've never just, just read the, read the Bible and let the story wash over you in all of its beauty and majesty. Oh, I promise you, I promise you that's the sort of thing that instills a sense of wonder into your relationship mm. with God. And, and reading Narnia helped me be able to see the Bible through that context to, to, to be able yeah. to then turn around and not just approach it from an apologetic standpoint, but also from a standpoint of this happened. Yeah. When you're able to read it as a story and not have to evaluate every second. Yeah. The story is able to kind of be a little more immersive. I, um, yeah. And, and I'm so, we are so blessed for, I, I can't remember who exactly it was. I don't remember if it was Barfield or Lewis's brother or who, but whoever wrote down the meetings that we do have of the Inklings, the world is truly blessed for just being able to kind of get a peek at what these men talked about. The one thing that doesn't make it to the writings that I'm reminded of at the same time, I'm reminded of when I think about how much Joe is from the East coast is the fact that a lot of people commented on the fact that you don't hear grown men laugh that often. And the fact that they valued laughter really changed things in the pub. Yeah. And when I hear Joe say Warsh, I'm reminded of that laughter. Because <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah, he is from the East Coast. Oh, he, yeah. He has an R in his wash machine. <laughs> yep. Yep. There is a fact in R in Warsh. Um, phenomenal. Oh, man. Yeah. They, uh, <laughs> but but that's a, that's a point, right? Because there is a misconception that men can't laugh, especially the further east that you get. Like, mm, yeah. like you don't, you don't, that's a, that this is, this is stiff upper lip territory. Like men don't laugh. And, and like we're the, the, the more the, uh, how do I say this? The millennial bracket becomes closer to the median age. Like the, the mo the more average age bracket that you come across is the more that that fluctuates, but being able to see an example of men cooperating well serves as yeah. a testament because we're still very actively as 30 somethings trying to fight <laughs> back against some of those yeah. bad misconceptions from previous generations. Yeah. Have you ever seen the movie risen? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I can count on one hand, probably the amount of Christian movies that's come out recently that I'm like, I actually liked that risen's one of them. And it is because of how they portrayed Jesus and the disciples where they were laughing and having a good time. They weren't, you know, just sitting up proper and just, hello, would you pass the bread? You know, they were laughing. They were cutting it up. And when you read the Bible, you hear love, joy, peace, all these things being fruits of the spirit. Joy is a huge part of that. The joy of the Lord is my strength, right? That's something you see in the Inklings. It's something you see in the disciples in the Risen movie. It's why the movie works for me. Because you don't typically see Jesus, A, portrayed as a brown person, or B, you don't see him portrayed as someone who had joy and that movie did that. And that's something that means a lot to me. And it's something that I think the Inklings did for a lot of men in England, especially they didn't laugh and you went to the pub right. and here was this group of Oxford scholars cracking up at each other while talking about whether or not hell was real. <laughs> you know, right. like that meant something for some people. And I think it truly changed the world. Some of those men's laughter changed the world. Agreed. Agreed. Let's take the lessons from those that came that came beyond. Maybe keep this in mind the next time that there's some kind of debate. You know, yes, we are we are getting ready to 
launch a series of of you know verses and and all of that and we are going to have to endeavor to have those conversations well and all of that and it may be a little bit gimmicky and all of that kind of stuff <laughs> but let's let's take the cue the next time that we try and tribalize the works you know yeah there's an yeah. ongoing Comic joke fans need that <laughs> yes there's an ongoing joke between a couple of us and uh, co-host Will um, about his uh, bad opinions about Star Trek, but in the fact that the one piece of Star Trek that he likes is the most Star Wars version. Um, but but the reality is is like I understand that it's all fun and games to to poke at you know Lord of the Rings is better, Narnia is better. Uh, Star Trek is better. Star Wars is better. Like I understand the Palandria trilogy, <laughs> but like let's let's be let's be aware of what is what is fun and what mm-hmm. is not. Let's be aware yeah. of not tribalizing what we what we like to the point where we may think it's fun, but we're holding people at an arm's length because of something else that they like or making somebody feel some kind of way. And I think that's especially true for us Christians that we need to get over the fact that other people might not necessarily like the same things that we like. And that's actually something that we were talking about as far as the show, you know, we appreciate that you guys have helped, have, have walked with us as we have endeavored to get better at not saying that was bad. Right. That was objectively yeah. bad when when subjectively it wasn't my cup of tea. It wasn't for me. Whatever. You know, do I have criticisms from a storytelling standpoint or whatever? Yeah, sure. Talk about your criticisms. Everybody's got an opinion. There's not a problem having an opinion, <laughs> yeah. but but be aware of your opinion in the greater context of the entirety of the conversation. Yeah, I um, I hope you guys if you followed along for any period of time, have noticed that we've gone from saying, oh yeah, that was bad to, yeah, I didn't like that. Or we we make it more us as opposed to just that was bad. We make it about our opinion or what I thought of it kind of thing. Uh, it's been a very intentional thing on the side of your host. We're kind of breaking the fourth wall there a little bit. Um, also, I, w- I want to say as the church unity guy, this also goes for some of your beliefs. Sometimes you just, we, we don't disagree well as Christians. Um, I try to avoid Twitter, but some of the arguments that Christian theologians who both agree on the idea of atonement through Jesus Christ's sacrifice still have these arguments about minute theological ideas on Twitter publicly in front of everybody. And they're name calling. They're calling each other stupid. And I'm like, uh, guys, that's um, I don't know which whose theological principle is correct, but I can tell you for a fact whose fruit was wrong there. And it's literally everyone participating in this conversation. Yep. All right. Well, that's a uh, that's all I got for this one. Yeah, I think I think that's a wrap. I think you know if if we are gonna if I'm gonna um, recommend anything, it's just start jumping in, right? Like when we talk about the inklings, I think sometimes the inklings can serve as this monolith of content where, like, you you there's almost so much there that you don't want to touch it. But like yeah. jump in and read the different works and then find out where the influence is, because I think it opens the door and adds another layer. Like I'll be the first one to admit, guys, I'm not the biggest Lord of the Rings fan. 
I I just am <laughs> not. It's not my version of fantasy that I really like. Um, I think it's got cool points, and and part of it is I was part of the church scene adjacent to the church during the time where everybody and their mother made a fellowship of the ring reference and all of that kind of stuff. So yeah. I got very burnt out on the idea. Um, and, and especially like even dating back to youth group, I was in youth group when these movies were, were, were coming out. Like it was not like, uh, I'm not the biggest fan, but like it's, it added a different layer to be able to see what, what, the impact was of of these works, but also the impact of these men on each other. Well, man, your recommendation is so much deeper than mine. Mine is that uh, season four of The Titans started on HBO. Did I that like finally it. start? Nice. Uh, what they're doing this season, I'm just like, wait, what? What? And, and mind you, I don't know the comics as well, so Joe might watch me like, oh, this arc. But I'm over here like, this just got dark and creepy. And who did they just kill? What did they just do? What? <laughs> it is. That's funny. I, I am all in for season four, which reminds me next year, uh, instead of doing a drive in in the early spring, we're going to be doing an HBO Mondays. We're going to be covering different HBO series or movies. So hang in there for that. Yep. You know, I, I just had to do the plug. I'm excited for that. Yeah, me too. All right. Well, guys, uh, if you want to hear more from us, you can go to systematicgeekology.org. Um, you can hit the host tab underneath there has Joe and my name. You can see all the other episodes we're a part of. I've had a problem with the player recently, but hopefully that's fixed before this episode airs. If not, just know I'm working on it. And let's see what else. Uh, on there, you can also contact us. Let us know what you've been geeking out on, what we should be geeking out on. We'd be glad to check it out. And of course, of course, we need you to remember... This is extremely important for all of us as we're building one another up. Remember, we're all a chosen people, a geekdom of priest. This was an Anazal Ministries podcast. If you enjoyed this show and would like to learn more about our network, be sure to check out the Anazal Ministries podcast network.